0: Welcome to the War in Ukraine Update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm getting an update today from Oleksandr Kraev. Oleksandr is the director of the North America program at the Ukrainian PRISM Foreign Policy Council. Thanks for joining me again on the podcast today, Oleksandr.
1: Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's good to be back.
0: In the last couple of weeks, we've seen a very quick and quite decisive counteroffensive on behalf of Ukraine that I think has taken many people outside of Ukraine by surprise in the extent of it and also the effectiveness of it. How have these events been viewed from within Ukraine? Has it also been quicker and more decisive than most people expected?
1: Well, to be honest, that was a surprise for many Ukrainians as well, and even for many experts, because previously the whole plan was to liberate the southern part of Ukraine first. And all the offensive and the preparations were done on Kherson direction, on the Kherson front. And, you know, even the social media were mostly active with some slogans like, well, Herson watermelons are waiting for us because the Herson is the main region of Ukraine for growing watermelons, pumpkins and all, all that kind of uh, agrarian cultures. So- we were hoping for Herson offensive, but we see that uh, our strategists, our chief in command, uh, Valery Zalužny, they had their own grand plan, and this plan was quite successful. So we could say that even within Ukraine, the informational agenda and the informational special operation, I might call it that way, uh, they were quite successful. They tricked not only Russians and the West, they also tricked us, uh, ordinary Ukrainians, and even Ukrainian experts.
0: It's quite impressive that they managed to keep it secret until the last moment. What does this mean for Ukraine going forward? In this war, of course, Ukraine has always said we're going to take back our territories, but now we're really seeing that as a realistic possibility. How has this been viewed from within Ukraine? Basically, the main shift, uh, what I have
1: seen, what I have heard from my colleagues, especially, if previously we were hoping for the plan minimum, plan minimum is to restore the borders as of 24th of February, as of now, we are striving to the plan maximum. And that is the the whole liberation of Ukrainian territories and the restoration of the borders as of 1991. And now these feelings are also supplemented by the successes of our armed forces. These feelings are also supplemented by the increased support from the West. And also there is some interesting connections. We see that with more successes, with more victories, and more liberated territories on the part of Ukrainian armed forces, we see more and more support from Western countries, from NATO powers. We also see uh, better documents being prepared. For example, this new security guarantees for Ukraine that is currently being prepared by our Office of President and several other uh, NATO advisors. So basically, now this scheme that our military successes surpass our political successes, they support them, and they provide us with more diplomatic opportunities. This scheme is definitely in full-scale work process, and now it, it is even more installed in society that our victory is ensured. Because I saw some interesting comparison that if we speak about April 2022, 97% of Ukrainians believed in our total victory. And as of now, it's 985 So basically, all the successes correspond to 1- 1.5% of our assurances. Well, just because... We were always sure of our successes.
0: And when you say successes, so you mean Russians being removed from the entirety of Ukrainian territory, including Crimea? I mean, I've heard President Zelensky say, you know, we're we're going to ensure the Russian military also leaves Crimea. So that is also the sentiment amongst the population that Ukraine could regain all of its territory, including Crimea?
1: Basically, yes. And if we speak about Ukraine, there is also always was this, how should I call it, different view on the situation, from social point of view and from political point of view, from the perspective of the general Ukrainian population, mostly Ukrainians were much more radical than our government. Because, for example, in some cases, when government was hesitant during Minsk's negotiation or during any other hard situation or crisis situation on front or in the economic sphere, Ukrainians were always relentless. We were always more, let's call it, stoic in some way. And we were always more radical in our view of the future. And that is why it is very good as of now that the viewpoint of the Ukrainian population is the same as the viewpoint of Ukrainian government. For me and for many of my colleagues, especially from the security sphere, the main concern when we speak about Crimea, when we speak about liberation of eastern Ukraine from the so-called dpr LPR organizations, the main concern was about Russia's nuclear weapons and Russian nuclear doctrine. Because according to Russian nuclear doctrine, any attack even from a distance, from afar, on the Russian soil, is a good enough reason for Russians to use unanimously their nuclear weapons. So basically, we remember the Dmitry Medvedev, head of Russian Security Council, then Patrushev, their head of FSB, and many others, their speakers, they told that if Ukrainians attack Crimea in any possible way, they'll have their nuclear apocalypse, they'll have their doomsday right at that moment. And then we destroyed, like, if I'm not mistaken, five or four airports filled with Russian techniques, filled with Russian aircraft. We just obliterated them. We obliterated everything that could fly. And there was no reaction, nothing at all. And for example, Medvedev, he just deleted his tweets. He deleted his messages in Telegram, in Instagram, because that's part of my work to, to go through all of his media. And so basically, at that point of time, even the nuclear deterrence of Russian Federation became much, much smaller. And this concern of ours were basically nullified by Ukrainian armed forces. And that is why, starting from that point on, our government is much more courageous, much more resilient in its speeches. And yes, after these bombings of Crimean airports, we can with some kind of assurances say that we will strive to liberate Crimea during this conflict.
0: hmm Does it seem likely to you, I mean, I'm watching the disorganized conduct of the Russian forces at the same time as Ukraine is advancing. Does it seem likely to you that we might see a more full-scale collapse of Russian forces, or is that, you know, overly optimistic?
1: Well, definitely uh, to say that the whole Russian army would collapse, or for example, as some of my more optimistic colleagues, as they said about the internal coup among Russian officers and something. Something similar to lavr Kornilov offense in 1917, when, as you remember, the, the northern army of General Lavr-Kornilov was advancing on Petrograd, nowadays St. Petersburg, to get the power into their hand. Well, they say about such possibility. I am more pessimistic towards this, but I do believe that Russian forces will not be able to replenish their capabilities to the level of 24th of February, because Yes, they have a lot of manpower. They have a lot of still working Soviet equipment. But at the same time, you need some time to prepare those men. You need some time to train them. For example, at the hardest moments of our struggle, uh, if we speak about March, if we speak about May, if we speak about even June this year, the shortest course for Ukrainian fighters to be prepared for battle was at least three weeks So basically, Russia needs to prepare a lot of troops in even shorter periods of time. And that is not physically possible to gather a lot of men to get them equipped with everything needed to make them beds, make some food for them, make some ammunition and train them. They are possibly able to replenish their losses, but they cannot do this in time to set the front line stable. So it is not the collapse of Russian army. It is mostly their logistical problems. They were not prepared for such losses. They were not prepared for such type of war. They were getting ready, obviously, for more stable, more entrenched conflict, something uh, similar to the conflict they had in Donbass for eight years. And basically, we turned the table to our war. We turn the table to our methods of more modern conflict. Because if you if you just look at the kind of offensive we are conducting right now and the offensive that the Russians conducted on Kiev in February and March. Russian offensive was more of a Soviet-style offensive. Mass tanks, armies, supported with the infantry battalions, motorized infantry, with more or less adequate air support and with no artillery support, they were rapidly advancing just to make sure that capture as much land as they could in the shortest period of time whereas Ukrainian offensive is more like a NATO-style offensive. We use a lot of airstrikes, a lot of artillery barrages, and only then we use our infantry, and only after infantry we use our armor battalions, armored divisions. And, of course, a lot of reconnaissance. A lot of reconnaissance, especially unmanned vehicles, aerial vehicles. Uh, this reconnaissance is mostly the backbone of our offensive. So... Russia was not prepared for this style of combat. And that is why they do not have the resource prepared. And that is why, at least for some time, at least for several months, Russia will not be able to replenish its armed forces to its previous capabilities.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And if you follow Russian language, telegram channels and etc, are they generally aware of what's actually happening on the battlefield and the kind of military failures that Russia is suffering? Or is most of that kind of kept out of the information sphere?
1: If we speak about the official channels, for example, official channel of TASS or Ria Novosti or RT or any other official channels, the population that watches this Media are mostly unaware. If we scroll down their comments under some specific news segment or under some specific broadcast, there are more or less pro-Putin positions that yes, that's actually regrouping, that's actually our trap for Ukrainian forces. That's actually something that was pre-planned, that was conducted by our Russian generals, and that is a good plan. Well, that's kind of position. But if we speak about more, more liberal side of uh, Russian media, for example, about the Telegram channels or even about their, as they call it, Corps, or you know, warfare correspondent that work on the field with Russian forces, they're more or less realistic, and more and more of these Voyen Corps are uh, uh, saying something against Putin regime. Not against Putin himself, but against Shoigu, Minister of Defense, against his generals, against the uh, uh, general command of Russian forces as well. They're more realistic that, yes, we have these troubles. Yes, our forces are being utterly destroyed. Our forces are being encircled. Our forces are without any kind of support from Moscow. And if we scroll down the comments under this section, if we research the kind of audience they have, they are more or less shocked. They're not still convinced that it is possible, but they're shocked. They believe this info, they believe that they have some troubles on the front lines, and so we have this process of formulating some kind, some group of Russian population, some group of passionate Russian population, because mostly there are relatives or friends or some kind of family of those who serve in the armed forces. And so we have a new group of Russian populations that are more realistic about what's going on on the front line, who are more up to date with the current information and who are willing to get answers. They are striving to know why these troubles are happening, why their forces are not supported, why the children, their husbands, their fathers are dying unmasked, to say the least. And so that is just the beginning. But still we see more and more people viewing this war more realistically and that is very good news both for ukraine and for the west
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely what's the feeling in ukraine right now what kind of timeline do we think that we're dealing with the particular events of the last couple of weeks went very quickly but obviously not everything will necessarily be that quick still will take some time what's your evaluation of that
1: Well, basically, we have very different points of view. Of course, everybody is cheering on our successes. Everybody is making the most of it. But still, there are a lot of channels that are more realistic, once again, uh, about the situation. And they say, yes, being offensive is very good. Making successes is great. But still, you need to understand at what cost we are making such successes. And so there are a lot of informal organizations, non-governmental organizations that are using this topic to enhance their support for Ukrainian armed forces, to enhance uh, people's donations, to enhance any kind of even blood donations to our hospitals, to our clinics, because we do understand that any offensive is entails mass casualties. Any offensive entails mass uh, destruction, many wounded, many uh, missed in action, many Killed in action. And so, Ukrainian population is basically getting ready to play a long game because we do understand that these successes are merely a part of what we need to do. Because, for example, if you speak about Donetsk and Luhansk Oblast, many parts of these regions were prepared for our offenses. For the last eight years, they have their lines of defense, they have their capabilities, they have their enhanced munitions, they have everything they need for good defensive operations. And we do understand that our success in Kharkiv uh, region is only a tiny part of what we should do. So we are trying to prepare the population for the long game. We are trying to make it clear that any offense is not only about successes, it's not only about liberating territories, but it's also about many wounded soldiers. And that is why we are still talking about new recruitment, we're still talking about new preparation for new soldiers. But at the same time, we have all the problems resolved with the payments to our soldiers. We have enhanced training courses, not like seven or 12 days, but uh, several months even, for more professional soldiers to be prepared. And so we are being cheerful, but we are trying not to celebrate as much. (laughs) Let's say it that way.
0: That makes sense. I mean, there's still sort of a hard and a heavy price for society to pay, despite obviously the fact that these are amazing gains that Ukraine is making. Thanks, Oleksandr. I really appreciate you updating us on the situation with A View from Ukraine. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to work with you on these episodes. Thanks for listening and thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music.